Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi everyone, my name is Eni Swart. And uh, since today is Pentecost Sunday, I thought I'd share a little bit with you about Pentecost and read from Acts chapter 2. I remember when I was a young boy, well, I say young, but about high school age, um, I've started encountering for the first time the reality of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And and that despite the fact that I'd spent uh, all my life growing up in church, I grew up as a a typical Afrikaner boy in a Dutch Reformed church, but I'd never really encountered the reality of the Holy Spirit. So this was all new and exciting to me. Uh, And... um, yeah, I just, I just thought I'd share a little bit from Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, with us because that's so crucial and so central to what Christianity is all about. So let me pray for us and then read a few verses. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that uh, we can come together, Lord, in your name, around your word and in your presence, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that even though we are not actually present with one another lord but just virtually present with one another that that you are actually present with each one of us thank you that wherever we are lord at home some may be sitting in our beds some sitting at the dining room table in front of a computer or a or a smartphone or something lord thank you that you are right right there with us and we just pray that today as we discuss your word as we talk about you the reality of you that we will experience the reality of you really experience your presence thank you holy spirit that you are with us and and we pray lord that you'll just open up the word to us and and help us to understand it in a new and powerful way in jesus name amen so in acts chapter 2 i'm just going to read a few portions from the chapter uh it's it starts off by saying when the day of pentecost came they were all together and that's the 120 were in the upper room, um, waiting in the upper room and praying. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then in verse 12, it says, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they uh, had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. I'll read a few, uh, continue uh, reading a few other verses, but let me just stop myself there. And um, just that question that they asked, that the crowd asked, what does this mean? Is, is such a telling question. And then uh, the other response, you know, some asked, you know, what does this mean? You know, they didn't understand what was going on. Then others uh, answered and made fun. They mocked and they said they've had too much wine. They drunk. Um, and, 
you know, it's so easy for us to either not understand what God is doing or to misunderstand what God is doing. And, you know, what's, um, what, what, what's so striking to me is God is moving here in a powerful way, in an epic way. You know, that is, that is really changing history. Uh, you know, we measure history you know, before, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and after, you know, the, 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 the old covenant age and then the age of the church, the new covenant age. So, so this is epic making stuff, you know, and it's, it's so obvious that God is moving. There's this mighty wind blowing, you know, shaking the place so, so loud that people gathered from all over to come and hear what was going on, you know, in, in total bewilderment and amazement. Um, not only that, but there, these tongues of fire, visible tongues of fire, you know, that came and, and settled on, on, on the 120 were in the upper room. But, you know, apart from that, you know, the Holy Spirit then enabled them to speak in, in tongues, in other languages, so that each person there from, you know, all kinds of different nations under the sun heard them speak in their own language. So, so it's, it's clear, it's, you know, so abundantly clear that God is moving. And yet, even though it's so clear that God is moving, it's seemingly so easy for the crowd there to either not understand what's going on, what does this mean, or to misunderstand, ah, they're just drunk. You know, and, and I think we run the same risk. You know, whenever God moves, we're always in danger of either not understanding what, what, what is happening, even, even when it's clear that God is doing something, that it's God that's moving. It, it, we're in danger of not understanding, or worse, of misunderstanding what God is doing, unless someone explains it to us. And that's what, what Peter goes on to say. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. So unless someone explains this to us, and specifically we see from Peter explaining it from Scripture, we will either not understand or misunderstand what God is doing, and then we won't be able to respond appropriately. And I think that's a challenge that, that we even face today. And, and, and even today, when it comes to the movement of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the power of Pentecost, there are so many who don't understand and so many do, who, who misunderstand. And I, I want to say this, even so many Christians who don't understand or who misunderstand, and we need to go and explain it. And, and we need it explained to us as well. And he, so Peter goes on. He says, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel 2 verse 28 to 32. And he says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Um, and then he goes on in verse 33. Uh, he goes on to talk about how, you know, by God's plan uh, and, and with the help of wicked men, these Jews took Jesus and Put him to death by crucifying him, by nailing him to the cross. But then he says, but God raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to say, not only did God raise him from the dead, but um, David knew that one of his descendants would be placed on his throne 
forever, eternal Davidic throne and rule the kingdom of God, um, as it were. And then, and then he said, um, Jesus was not only resurrected, but he was exalted. He was raised to the right hand of the Father, sitting on the throne of the ruling the kingdom of God. And he says this in verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then in verse 36, uh, he says, Therefore, let, it, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And an um, amazing portion of Scripture uh, about the power of Pentecost, the miracle of Pentecost, the birth of the church, um, that they just had such a fundamental impact on the church. First on, on this early group of disciples, the 120, and then spilling over, you know, just multiplying, 3,000. A couple of chapters later, I think it's chapter 4, you know, it becomes 5,000. And, and just, you know, it's just the snowball effect, you know, as the church starts to snowball and grow uh, from from very humble beginnings um, to basically the the religion and the worldview that dominated the world within about 300 years. So what what makes this situation? I mean, they they were in danger initially. They miss they firstly didn't understand or they misunderstood. And and like I said, we're in the same danger. But but what makes this even worse? If I can sort of just dig down a little bit uh, more, if you if you notice um, in verse. Five. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. In other words, these were not lukewarm Jews. These were not secular Jews. These were not Jews who did not know God or His Word um, or who weren't committed to what they believed. These were God-fearing Jews. Uh, another translation says, devout, devout Jews. From every nation under under heaven, um, in other words, um, I, mean, I mean, think about it this way: according to the law, one, uh, three times a year, every adult Jewish male had to make a pilgrimage from wherever they were in Israel, or even around the world at that stage, because there was this Jewish diaspora, you know, throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, uh, the Jews were sort of scattered. But three times a year, they were supposed to come together. And these guys had come together, not only from different places in Israel, in, in, um, uh, in, in, in Canaan, but from different places in the world, in the Roman Empire. So they traveled quite far. It was very dangerous, firstly, to travel in those days. And it was very expensive, much more so than today. It wasn't like just you go buy a you know, cheap ticket, or, uh, you know, airplane ticket, jump on an airplane and in less than 24 hours you can be almost anywhere in the world. It wasn't like that at all. You had to travel far. Uh, long distances, it was very expensive. It was very dangerous. 
And, and, and these guys had, had traveled, sparing no time, because it probably took them weeks to get there, and sparing no expense, because it cost them a lot of money. And then they, they came firstly for Passover, which was one of the festivals for which you had to uh, be in Jerusalem. But then they stayed there all of that time, those many weeks. So uh, Pentecost uh, you know, is named such, you, you might recognize the word penta, which comes from five. So Pentecost is 50 days after, after Passover, actually after first fruits, which was you know, just three days after um, Passover. 50 days after that was Pentecost, and, and they had to be there. So they stayed that for, there for those, those many weeks, you know, as, you know almost as, uh, about as long, almost as long as we've been in lockdown in South Africa. They stayed there all that time, uh, most of them not doing business, um, so it cost them a lot of money. So why I'm saying that is these guys were committed. They were devout Jews. They were God-fearing Jews, um, and yet they were in danger of not understanding or misunderstanding what God was clearly doing. This epic move of God that was happening right in front of their eyes. They were uh, in danger of missing it. Not only that. I mean, it's not like they, they, they only came down this year. They were devout Jews. So they would come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the festivals. And every year they celebrated Passover, Pentecost. You know, all the major festivals that they had to be there for. They were there in Jerusalem. And every year they got reminded of the Exodus, how there would be a Passover, how there was a Passover lamb that was sacrificed um, in the place of the people, so that they could be saved. Remember when the blood was painted on the doorpost and the death angel passed passed them by? Uh, how the Exodus happened under Moses? How Moses led them through the Red Sea uh, into the um, wilderness to Mount Sinai, where, where on the day of Pentecost they received the law, where we brought the law down from the mountain. Uh, law written on tablets of stone and gave it to the people. Um, and not only that, but that they were led through the Exodus to the promised land uh, where eventually uh, Saul and ultimately David was made king over them. And they celebrated that every year. And they knew that God had promised that there would be an ultimate Passover lamb that would be slain for the sins of the people, that there would be a prophet like Moses who would lead a new exodus and free them from um, slavery, just like uh, they were slaves to, to Pharaoh in Egypt, so they were now slaves to the Roman uh, Empire, um, that, that there would be a new law, that they'll, they'll come, you know, with that exodus, they'll, they'll come out from under slavery and they'll receive a new law, a new covenant, but this time the law would not be written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of, of their hearts written on their hearts by the Spirit, um, and that there, there'll be a new kingdom ruled by a new king, the son of David, and that he will rule this kingdom forever. <laughs> he wouldn't die. It wouldn't be a temporary kingdom. Um, they knew all of that, and yet they, they couldn't see the fulfillment of all of that, of all of those promises, which were happening right in front of their faces. And so often we're in danger of the same thing. You know, in South Africa, uh, you know, according to, you know, censuses and stuff, about, you know, 70, uh, more than 70, 80 almost percent of people claim to be, to be Christians, self-identify as Christian. And, and, and so we are in many ways just as devout, if I can call it that, or religious as, as, as the Jews. We, we grow up in similar circumstances where, where we grow up with Christianity, just like I grew up with Christianity. But 
we're in the same danger of becoming so being so familiar with the, the external rituals that we miss the internal reality. We can become so um, familiar uh, with the, the form of Christianity that we miss the essence of it. We can become so familiar with the shadow that we miss the substance that the shadow points towards, exactly like these Jews did. And, you know, p- part of the problem was these Jews, uh, devout Jews, I may add again, was they saw themselves as innocent victims of the Roman Empire inst- uh, who, who need a change of circumstance instead of guilty sinners who need a change of heart. They saw themselves as innocent victims of their cir- who need a change of circumstance rather than guilty sinners who need a change of heart. And, and growing up within a religion, growing up within Christianity even, we can fall into the same trap. Uh, we can we can have a, we can feel sort of entitled to salvation, entitled to the benefits of Christianity because you know haven't we been serving God? Haven't we been faithful? Haven't we been keeping all the feasts? Haven't we been going to church? Haven't we been praying and reading our Bibles every day? Uh, we can feel secure in that we're on the inside. We go to church. We're part of the church community. We're part of the people of God. Uh, we can fall in the trap of celebrating. What happened in the past rather than experiencing what God is doing in the present. Um, In other words, if I can just sort of um, summarize this. It says in in verse 12, in Acts 2 verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And, And to me that summarizes at least those guys, you know, the, in the next verse, the guys mock and they say, oh, you know, they're just drunk. You know, so they're not, their hearts aren't ready to receive. But at least these guys in verse 12 who, who are amazed and perplexed and asked one another, what does this mean? At least they were at the right place to start understanding, to go from not understanding to actually understanding. And, and, and this is why, because, you know, so, so much of what we miss in Christianity so much of what we missed about the power of Pentecost, so much of what I missed as a, as, as a young boy growing up, was that sense of wonder, that amazement, that being perplexed. And, 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 and then not asking the right questions, making the assumption, oh, I understand everything. Oh, you know, I know the meaning of all of it. Oh, you know, it's all plain to me. I don't have any questions that need to be answered. Instead of asking one another, what does this mean? And, 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 and saying, well, maybe I should assume that there's more to this than I realize. Maybe everything that I know is not right. Maybe there's more to Christianity. Maybe there's more to Pentecost than I realized before. And I think it's that humility that sort of opens the door for us, like it did for 3,000 of these of this uh, of this crowd on the day of Pentecost, the, that that epic, that um, you know history-making Pentecost, to actually open up their hearts and um, receive the gospel. So, one of, one of the things that that helps us to humble ourselves in that way, I just want to draw sort of a contrast here. In verse five of Acts. Two, it says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing or devout Jews from every nation under heaven. And it's so easy when we're devout and when we're God-fearing, when we're committed 
uh, to Christianity, committed to God's word, committed to his law, committed to, to his church and so on. It's so easy to think that those things earn the right for us to be in, on the inside, make us entitled to experience and, and to have all the benefits of Christianity. But in stark contrast to that, let me just read you uh, Peter's answer. It says uh, in verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. When, when you feel entitled, when, you, when you're mocking, when you don't have a sense of wonder, when you think you understand everything, when that humility is not there, uh, you will not be cut to the heart. Uh, or if you are cut to the heart, if you feel that conviction, you'll respond negatively to it and you'll get angry because you know, being cut to the heart is not a, a comfortable, pleasant experience. So it says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Only that humility can firstly allow us to accept that that we have sins that need to be forgiven. In fact, if I can even backtrack to verse 36, it says, Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and, and Messiah. Um, I, th- I think we underestimate the, the extent to which we are like these Jews. Do you, do you think all of these Jews were at Jesus' trial, where he was found guilty, even though he was innocent, even though Pontius Pilate himself says, you know, this, this is an innocent man. I, I, I wash my hands of his blood. Do you think this whole crowd, and, and there were clearly more than 3,000, maybe there were five, six thousand, seven thousand, who knows how many, but definitely more than 3,000, at least 3,000. Um, do you think all of them were at Jesus' trial? Do you think all of them were at Jesus' crucifixion? Do you think all of them shouted, crucify him, crucify him? I think it's quite clear that not all, not all of them did. And yet Peter, not only in verse 36, but even in verse 23, says that you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Whom you, this Jesus whom you crucified. And, and the principle there is that each one of us, because we are guilty of sin, it's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. It's our sin that killed Jesus. And, and only humility can accept that. And accept that it's for our sins. Uh, and, and that's why Peter says, for the forgiveness of your sins. Firstly, accepting that, that we have sins that need to be forgiven. Um, and he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Notice it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to think, you know, if we are, metaphorically speaking, devout Jews or God-fearing Jews like these, to think that our being devout, our being God-fearing, our being committed, our coming to the feast, coming to church, all that kind of stuff, earns for us salvation. And in stark contrast to that, Peter was saying, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I just want to, he's he's again there referring back to the, the scripture he quoted uh, in the beginning of the sermon in in Joel chapter 2, the last verse, verse 32 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what he ended the quote with in, um, in, his, in the beginning of his sermon. He says, For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, which is exactly where they were, there will be deliverance or salvation, as the Lord has said, 
even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. As many as the Lord our God calls. Can you see the, the echo there? Whom the Lord calls in Joel 2 verse 32. As many as the Lord our God calls. So, so he's saying, firstly, that this is a gift. It's for everyone whom the Lord God calls. Every nation, um, every generation. But he's saying this is a gift. You're not entitled to it. The, the thing about a gift is you don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. In other words, in our humility, then we can uh, receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation as a free gift that our being devout, our being God-fearing cannot earn for us. And not only that, but we can humbly accept the fact that it's because God called us that we call on the name of the Lord to be saved. In other words, it's all by grace. And, and when we experience that, when we realize that, that God took the fact that we killed him, just like this generation of devout Jews had killed Jesus, even though not all of them were at the trial and the crucifixion. We have killed Jesus. And when we realize that God took the fact that we killed him, that our sins killed him, nailed him to the cross, and he turned that around, he, he gladly did that. He, uh, I like the way Tim Keller summarizes. He says, we must realize that we're so sinful and evil that Jesus had to die for us. He had so loved and accepted that he was glad to die for us. That Jesus gladly died, in a sense, at our hands so that he could give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of salvation. Freely. In a way that our being devout and God-fearing and doing all the right stuff could not even earn for us. When we realize that, we will once again stand in amazement and have that renewed sense of wonder at who God is and what He does. Um, and, and, and that will take away that sense of familiarity, that sense of entitlement, that, that sense of dryness. That is so e that so easily sets in religion, and it'll cause us to experience the gospel and experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we too will be able to, like this crowd, at least the ones who responded in amazement and uh, with perplexity, and by asking the question, "What does this mean?" humbly asking that question, we will also be able to. Be, we'll, God will cut us to the heart. We'll be convicted. And we'll be able to respond and say, what must we do? So how do we experience the gospel? First, we ask the right question. What does this mean? Not assuming that we know and that we've experienced everything that there is to experience and that we know everything that there is to know or that everything that we do know is right, but being open to being wrong and being corrected and, and learning. Secondly, we must be cut to the heart. Now, this is not something that we can do, but when we have a posture of humility, then God does that to us and for us. It cuts us to the heart. And, and we need to be cut to the heart in order, order for our hearts to be changed, to be changed in our hearts. The only way our hearts can be changed is if they're cut. He circumcises our hearts through His Holy Spirit. Um, then we must accept the message in verse 41. Uh, let me just have a look at that. It says, And those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Accepting the message. And what was that message? It's the message of the gospel, the good news that what we are being devout, our being God-fearing, could not earn for us. Jesus has earned for us on the cross and freely given to us. And that's good news. Um, then it says, Repent. In other words, uh, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus. 
And that means personal transformation, personally turning away from our old life and our sins and turning towards God and following Him. Each one of us individually needs to do that and be baptized. And being baptized is not something that you can do alone. Um, You cannot take yourself by the hair and dunk yourself under the water and baptize you. That means becoming part of a community. So be baptized. uh, We repent is an active verb, something you can do. I repent. being baptized is not something that, that you can do yourself. It's something that's done to you. It's a passive verb. I am baptized by someone else. Um, in other words, it implies community. So turning away from our sinful life and turning towards God, but then also turning away from this corrupt generation, as Peter calls it, and turning away to godly community, God's people and God's community. Um, and experiencing being reconciled to God freely, experiencing the wonder, the amazement that comes when we humbly accept that salvation is a gift, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Then we can really experience it. Um, not only, then Christianity is not only an assumption that you make. I can assume I have the Holy Spirit because I assume I. You know, I'm part of the church and, you know, I've, I've made the right noises. No, because I've experienced the Holy Spirit, I know God has come into my life and changed my life. Um, and I'm part of a community who loves me. Not a perfect community. Just like me, I'm not perfect. But I'm part of a community that loves me and that's changing the world. In, in the lives of these devout Jews, it led to the following. They devoted themselves... So they were devout before, but now they devoted themselves. They were radically committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it it created a whole new community. And they were radically committed to being together, fellowship, to learning together, apostles' doctrine, to eating together, breaking of bread, and to praying together. Um, and and there was such a powerful community that that even those who didn't join them they saw the miracles they saw the them you know having all things in common and sharing everything with those who, who had need there was such a radical community such a countercultural community that even those who, who were afraid to join them they had favor with uh, on them and they thought wow this is amazing and and day by day people were being added to the church and. If you look at the early church, you know, the first sort of 300 years, church historians tell us that, and not only church historians, but secular historians tell us that the church was both the most persecuted religion in the world at that time for those two, three hundred years. And yet it was the fastest growing and most influential religion at that time. So how can it be the most persecuted, starting from about 120 you know, starting small, but then also the most persecuted religion, but also the fastest growing by far. So much so that it took over the known world in, in about 300 years and became the dominant religion of the Greco-Roman Empire. I'm, I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's because the power of Pentecost, because the power of the Holy Spirit, because the power of Christianity that is not just external religion, you know, people who have gone beyond being familiar with it and really started experiencing the 
power and the reality of it. Um, and I just want to reinforce this point. In, in, in Acts 2 verse 33, it says, Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus, He, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit was an experience in the life of the church long before it was a doctrine in the theology of the church. And what we need to realize is that we need to experience the Holy Spirit, experience His salvation, experience His empowering, experience His community-forming power, experience His daily leading and guidance like the early church did. But then we need to make that transition from being familiar to being to humbly saying, God, I want to experience this. I want to experience this. I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to grow. Um, if you look at the 21st, uh, sorry, the 20th century, from the early 1900s to you know the early 2000s, a movement happened during that time, which is widely acknowledged by both church and secular historians as the greatest social movement ever in the history of the world. And it's a movement called Pentecostal Charismatic Christianity. Sometimes also called Spiritful Christianity, which is based on Acts chapter 2, on humbly accepting the gospel and experiencing the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can just testify in my life, you know, growing up sort of in a religious environment or what I experienced as religion um, because my heart was close to it. Um, You know, as my heart opened to it and I started experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit and the power, the reality of God's power, Christianity was no longer just something that I did as a ritual, as a received religion, but that I started living as a as a as a experienced reality it became exciting it became powerful it became real it became life changing it became contagious and that is what pentecost tells us and i encourage you that same experience that was there the experience of the holy spirit the power of pentecost that was there for the early uh, Jews became Christians is still here for us today. God wanted to give them His Holy Spirit. And God wants to give His Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit wanted to manifest Himself through them. And the Holy Spirit still wants to manifest Himself in and through us. So I just want to leave you with a thought. Are you willing to not rely on how devout you are, but to humbly Stand in amazement. Be perplexed by the the perplexing reality that that we're guilty before God. Guilty even of Jesus' death. And yet ask the question, what does this mean? I recognize I have a lot to learn. I'm open to learn. I humble myself into a posture of learning and growing and receiving and experiencing. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. We just want to honor you, Lord. Your gospel is truly good news. And also, Lord, Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that you want to come and live inside of us, to come and fill us, to come and empower us, to come and save us and empower us, just like you did for the early church. And we just open our hearts. 
We humble ourselves and open our hearts to receive you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.